So Philippians chapter 3, 17 through 21, this is what God's word says for us. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from heaven we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Father, we thank you for this word. We pray that you would write these eternal truths on our hearts and that you would transform us through your truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our culture, generally speaking, um, if you play any sort of a sport, you and it's a team sport, there's one, one typical position that you'll see that goes along with every single team, and that's a coach, right? Usually you'll see some sort of a coach who is uh, more experienced, who knows uh, you know, how to uh, direct the team, knows how to teach them the basics of you know, how to kick, Joel, is it with the side of your foot? <laughs> side of your foot, I assume. Um, Oh, well, there you go. That's why I don't coach soccer. Uh, and so, you know, there's, uh, there's always a coach that teaches you the basics of the sport, whatever it is. Or, I mean, if you just think about all the different coaches that there are out there, there's like, there's uh, nutrition coaches, there's uh, sports coaches, like we've already said, um, there's, you know, dance coaches, there's, there's all these different, different life coaches, right? All these different kinds of, of coaches out there, but they're usually someone who has knowledge and experience and can point you in the right direction in whatever activity you're participating in. And in this passage, Paul is actually acting uh, in, in kind of a, a coach capacity, if you will. Uh, if you look at verse 17 there, he says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. In other words, he's saying, uh, look at my example and follow my example. Okay, And so for tonight, our main theme, what I want you guys to walk away with, and it's there on your handout, but um, if you want to be like Jesus, then you should follow people who act like Jesus. It's pretty basic. If you want to become more like Jesus, and every Christian wants that, if you're genuinely a Christian, you want to become more like Christ. If you want to become more like Christ, then you should follow people. You should seek to be mentored by people who act like Christ. Okay? And so in this passage, so this last week, um, Paul was describing his desire 
to come to know Jesus more. And that was the, the main passion of his life is knowing Christ, enjoying Christ, glorifying Christ. He was such a Christ-centered person because of God's work in his heart. And so now he's once again, he is actually about to warn the Philippians of a particular group of people, uh, of some false teachers that were eventually going to come in um, and, and try and teach some things that were contrary to what Paul has already said. Um, most likely, these particular false teachers um, were kind of teaching uh, what we might call nowadays like a cheap grace. It's this idea that um, if you just say that you believe in Jesus then that's good enough and you can just kind of live however you want, okay? And so what Paul is trying to say is he's saying, don't listen to that kind of thinking because that kind of thinking turns you into a person who has a false assurance of salvation, okay? Mere profession of faith does not make you a Christian. The regeneration of the Holy Spirit makes you a Christian, makes you part of God's family, okay? So we much, that's why Jesus said, uh, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you have been born again, okay? So Paul here, he's trying to warn about this, uh, this cheap grace kind of teaching that was going to come in and uh, these people were going to try and distract the Philippians, okay? Um, and so the question then is, uh, what, is it, what does it look like? Like if you are seeking someone to mentor you, to fo- to someone that you can follow that will help you become more and more like Jesus, what does that kind of person look like? And so in this passage, Paul gives two examples. He gives a negative example, and then he gives the positive example. Okay, so the negative example and then the positive example. Let's talk about the negative one first here. So the negative example is this. This kind of person can be characterized in this way. Desire is their God. Desire is their God. Whereas the positive example, God is their desire. Okay, so that's the, the primary difference between the two. But we're going to p- unpack this. Uh, we're going to unpack this negative example here. Look at verse eighteen for a minute. There, he says, "For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears." Okay, that's significant. Did you guys know that this is the only place in the New Testament where Paul mentions weeping over somebody? It's the only place in the New Testament that he mentions shedding tears over an individual other than Romans 9, but he doesn't even mention crying there. It's a different, he uses a different phrase. But this is the only place that he mentions shedding tears over an individual. And what's the context? The fact that these people live a life contrary to Jesus Christ. The fact that these people don't know Jesus. How's that for a heart check? When was the last time you cried over your unbelieving friends? Do you weep for their condition or do you just go on living life? 
that's not in our in my notes, but that's something to think about. When was the last time we actually felt the appropriate feelings that we ought to feel when we understand that somebody, if God does not intervene in their life, that they will spend eternity separated from him in everlasting torment? We should feel something. We should feel sorrow at just at the thought of that. And Paul feels that. And then he describes the, the condition, and he says that these people, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And then in verse 19, he gives the reason for why he is sorrowful over these people who walk as enemies. Like, what's, why, why are they enemies of the cross of Christ? Well, verse 19 tells us their end is destruction, okay? So that's the end. That's their destination is destruction, okay? And then you dig in a little bit further, and he says their God is their belly. Now, what he doesn't mean is that they literally walk around looking at their belly button and say, oh, I worship you, right? That's not, that's not what's happening here. What the, the Greek word there means is it means the capacity for desire, the faculty for desire, okay? And so what he's saying is, is these people ultimately worship themselves and their own desires, okay? And so Paul in verses you know, 17 through 19, he's contrasting himself and people who follow him by saying, you know, we, if you look back at the rest of the context, we are those who desire to know Jesus and to, uh, to spend eternity with Jesus in everlasting joy. But, verse 18, these people do not desire Christ. They are infatuated with their own desires. There's a scene in, um, uh, oh, I love this scene, uh, but it's a scene in the Hobbit movie, and uh, he says, it's, I think it's the, the uh, Lakeman, where he's, uh, he's speaking to the king, and he says, can you not see beyond your own desire? And that is such an indictment of our culture. Because what is the reigning doctrine in uh, America in, 21st, in the 21st century? Follow your heart. Do whatever desires arise within you. Give expression to those because then you will find true happiness. And the problem with that is, is the human heart is the most deceitful thing in the universe. God has said so in Jeremiah 17. He says, your heart is absolutely wicked. You don't even understand your own heart. Why are you trusting it? And this plays out in, in a myriad of ways in our culture. We see it in things like the LGBTQ plus movement where they have a desire and rather than, than asking the question, is this a right desire? They say, well, it's a desire. It's coming from my own heart. I should obey it. Functionally, that means that your heart is your God. Your faculty for desires 
are what you worship in that moment. Anything that controls your life for all intents and purposes is your God. So if you are, if you are controlled by your own desires and you lack self-control, you're your own God in that moment, lowercase g. And so Paul here, he's describing these people who are actively walking contrary. So that word walk there, it's the, uh, the Greek word peripateo. And it's, it's an active, just walking away, walking in the opposite direction. And so he's describing these people and he says that for all intents and purposes, these people have replaced Jesus with themselves, with their own desires, and they worship the false God that they see in the mirror. And the troubling thing is, is that that is actually, it's pretty natural for us. It's, it's, it's kind of just what, how we're hardwired as human beings. We naturally are uh, inclined to, towards our own needs, wants, and desires. This is the, the consequences. This is the, the impact of sin in our lives. We feel entitled to have things our way. So my question for you as you hear what sort of negative example these people are, my question for you to help you learn from this is, is this, what areas of your life do you see your own feelings or desires having too much control of what you choose to do? What areas of your life do you see your own feelings or desires having too much control? Is there an area of your life where you don't bother to ask the question, would Jesus have me do this thing? Is there something that you are regularly participating in that you would not be able to say yes to that? For some of us, it's that we are ruled by uh, a, a propensity to become easily angered. And from that anger, we react uh, negatively. We have outbursts. We yell at people. We say naughty words. Guilty. Uh, and that is evidence that in that moment, you are choosing to be the ruler of your own life. You are choosing to be a, to borrow a phrase from Paul Tripp, a little self-sovereign. Or maybe you're someone who is anxious and you let your fears of what might happen control what you choose to do and what you choose not to do. These are just a couple of examples. Uh, anger and anxiety, like that's like 90% of the population, maybe more than that. But they're so common, we don't even really think about it. But in those moments, we are being ruled 
by our own desires, our own feelings and emotions, rather than being ruled by the Holy Spirit of the living God who lives inside us. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you. You should repent and give your life to Christ. But at the root of each of those sins that I mentioned, and at the root of every sin, is an idolatrous worship of your own feelings and desires. Which is why God sent Jesus to be born in the likeness of human flesh. To, he sent Jesus, the Son of God, to come to take on human flesh because he would not be ruled by sinful desire. He would not be overruled by the desires of his heart, but instead he was ruled by the will of his Father. And you know what Isaiah 53 says? It says it was the will of God the Father to crush him. And he gladly and joyfully submitted to the will of his Father because he knew that when he did that, when he paid for your sins and for my sins, he knew that that was purchasing an everlasting relationship with Abby Dyke and with me and with Lexi and with Faith. He joyfully submitted his will to the Father's will. So my, my call to action for us is this, is ask God this week to be the ruler over your desires and emotions. Because there's a reason that Jesus is called king and we are called servants. Jesus is Lord, not me. Jesus is king. So do not let your desires be your God, but rather let God be your desire. Let's talk about that positive example here. We're going to try and do this in like two minutes. So the positive example, here we go. God is their desire, okay? You want to find somebody uh, to follow, somebody to mentor you of whom this is true. And it's evident because you can see it in their lives, uh, like it says in verse 20. So it says, our citizenship is in heaven. So the kind of mentor, the kind of person that you should look for is someone who is not so focused on earthly things, but rather someone who is, who is desperate to, to spend time, to spend eternity with Christ, who recognizes that this is not his home or her home, but rather their home is where Christ is. Wherever Jesus is, that is where we belong. And that's the kind of person that you should seek to follow, seek to mentor you, right? And Paul is saying he's, he's holding himself and the people who follow him as examples of this, right? But he doesn't only say that. He look at, verse, uh, look at the, the very next phrase there. And from it, meaning heaven, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So let me clear up some I assume you guys are going to have some questions about verse 21, and I don't have 
time to get into all the particulars. But those things right there fall into the category of end times theology, sometimes called eschatology, okay? And basically, what's being talked about there in verse 21 is that the Bible teaches that when Jesus returns, he will actually resurrect all people. So literally everyone who has ever lived will be resurrected. Matthew 25 talks about this. And Jesus will begin separating the people who belong to him from those who do not. And the ones who do not know him will go away into everlasting punishment and torment in hell, prepared for the devil and his angels. But those that know him will enter into the joy of their master and live eternally in these new glorified bodies. And basically all that means, is, well, what we know, okay? This is, this is stuff that's, that's kind of hard for us to really make dogmatic statements on. But we know that when Jesus was resurrected, he had a real body. He was a physical body in some way, shape, or form. We know that he ate food. We know, um, we know that this body was no, longer, no longer had a capacity to die. So for us, when we receive this glorified body, we won't be subject to sickness, won't be subject to sin, won't be subject to death. You won't have really bad colds anymore, Samantha. That's going to be awesome. This is, this is the hope of the gospel that, that Paul is talking about here. This is amazing. This is awesome stuff. Now, the timing of when Christ is coming is, is what everybody likes to fight about. And that's okay. The other three views are allowed to be wrong, and I'll be right. It's okay. <laughs> uh, but all of that to say, all of that to say is, is this. The kind of person that you want to mentor is, is this person right here. Someone who awaits the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word await there is pretty cool because it's kind of like it's this eager expectation. They are, they are desiring with all that is within them, Jesus to come and be with them. I think about a little boy who's asked mom or dad to, uh, who's asked mom or dad for a new bike for Christmas. And one day they hear the, the car roll up. It's a couple weeks before Christmas and the little boy goes to the, the window and he peeks out and he sees dad walking out of, out of the car. He's got this big box under his shoulder and he can just see just a little bit on the bottom there, but he can see a bike tire, a picture of a bike tire. And so he, he, he goes away from the window. He knows, he's very excited. He knows what, what's coming at Christmas. And so dad brings it inside. And so he's eagerly expecting, eagerly waiting for this great gift to come on Christmas morning. And that is the kind of person that you should look for to mentor you. If you want to become more like Jesus, you should look for someone who is eagerly desiring to spend time with Jesus here and desiring Jesus to come back. 
little application question for you. So you should be looking for someone like that, someone to follow. But my question for you is, are you eagerly awaiting the time when you will spend endless days with Jesus? Is it your desire, and is that desire so strong that you would be able to say, like the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, it is far better that I leave this world behind and be with Jesus. That is the type of heart that I want to have. And I pray that that's your heart as well, that you see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, your Lord, so that you will be able to say every day for the rest of your life, I can't wait to be with Jesus. So in this world that has all these different coaches and all these different uh, mentors that claim to be able to point you to the right path, I would exhort you to find someone who exemplifies a strong desire for God because those are the kinds of people that you should look up to and those are the kinds of friends that you should surround yourself with. But more than all of that, you should fix your eyes upon Jesus because he is the greatest treasure. Let's pray.